Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. We are also proud members of the Biblical and Reformed Network. Today is episode 28. Join us as we discuss functional universalism. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do so in several ways. One, you can leave us a comment and share our podcast on your social media. Two, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Three, you can follow the link in our show notes to find all of the other ways that you can support us and connect with us. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in the truth. John 17, 14 through 18, uh, through 19. Well, hello and welcome. I'm Andrew. And I'm Matt. And this is the Locust and Honey podcast. We're excited for this episode today. And life. And life. And liberty. And, and the pursuit of happiness. That's true. We're, yeah. we're excited about all of that. Yep. We're just some excited guys around We're here. very excited people. Yeah. Um, what you been up to, man? Well, I have been doing a lot of unusual things this week, I feel like. Um, so we all got together on Monday night as a college group over at Gigi's house mm. and swam, and we played pool basketball, and that that was a lot more of a workout than I was planning. It was more of like, like pool basketball slash WWE yeah, wrestling. It was like, by the time I got out of the pool, I was smoked. <laughs> like I was, I was breathing heavy. I like couldn't catch my breath for a second. My legs were sore. It was, it was something. And it then was something. it was something. And then uh, yesterday I... Uh, put a fence together, or at least a fence gate. So you're like a master carpenter now. I am like a, a well, I'll tell you what, this is what I'm going to save a story about that for the affirmation that I have today. Okay. Um, so you have something like say, that, yeah. something like master carpentry was taking place. Could you whittle me a rocking chair? Uh, well, I, maybe, but I don't know how confident you're going to be after my story. Okay. That I tell. Well, let's jump into it then. Uh, let's start with affirmations and denials. Yes. But something I want you to be thinking about, which has nothing to do with this podcast episode, mm -hmm. we need call signs. Call signs? Yeah, like pilots. Yeah. Like Maverick and Goose and Jester. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to be thinking about it. Okay. And at some point in this episode, I need you to drop your call sign. <laughs> 
<laughs> just randomly? Randomly. Just that, okay. Just say it. You're going to look at me like I'm crazy, and then you're going to realize what it is. And then yeah. you're going to be like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then I'm going to say, right. Roger, Maverick has the ball. All right. But your call sign won't be Maverick, because that's taken. By you? By Tom Cruise. Okay. I was going to say, you can't. You're just no. going to take Maverick? No. <clears throat> All right. Um, what do we normally do? Affirmations and denials? Mm-hmm. You want to do that? I think I think that'd be good. All right. Well, since you got a cool story, how about you start us off? All right. I'm going to affirm the gate that I built. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the reason why it's such a big uh, thing for me this week is because it was a miserable process. <laughs> so, first of all, yesterday here in middle Georgia, it was, I believe, 94 degrees, and it felt like 102. That's what it said on my Weather Channel app. And so I decided at like 1 o'clock to go out there and, deci- and and put together this gate. So I had the hardware for the gate, the steel kind of hardware already, because there was a fence that there was a gate that was there, but the wood on it was all rotten and stuff. So I had to take the wood off of the metal frame and then replace it with all the new wood that I had cut at Lowe's a few days ago. Right. So I get it all laid out in the driveway and I realize that I am one piece of wood short of what I need. And so what I did was it was one of the little, it was one of the horizontal beams of the gate. So I went to the the old gate and I took the best piece of wood off that I could. Mm. Well, that took forever because the they nailed the pickets. They didn't screw the pickets. They nailed the pickets into the wood. Yeah. So like I had to, I spent a while trying to get these pickets off. Do you have a hammer? I had a hammer and I was, but but the nails were driven in so far that yeah. like. So anyway. I decided there was this one piece that wasn't the piece I was going for that was screwed in. And so I was like, even though this isn't as good of a piece of wood, I'm just going to take it because... Anyway, that took forever. So you settled. I did settle, yes, for one. And I put it at the very bottom of the of the gate. Mm. Then I go and I put it all together. I get it all put together with the hardware. And I start picketing the, the gate. And so... I got the pickets together. I was kind of, I wasn't using, I guess, the tools I needed to use, but I was going based off of just, (laughs) I would put, I'd put, I'd make sure the picket was flush with the outside beam or the outside edge of the beam. And then I took my fingertip and used my fingertip as as the spacing for the pickets. So I get like, I needed to picket nine pickets. I get the done with the six picket and I realized that I'm not going to have enough space for all the pickets. So then I had to go back and I had to unscrew all of the pickets and then put them a little bit closer together <laughs> to make space for this, for, for all the pickets. And so, um, it took a long time, <laughs> but it you took, finished. I did finish, but I was like about to pass out, but I was like, I'm going to finish. Right. Like I could, my ears were starting to ring and like, I was just, I couldn't, I, I was losing a lot of, like, I felt like I was about to die, but I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to finish. If I die out here, I die out here, but I'm going to finish this gate. So I did finish. It took, I started working at one ish. I got done at like 
four fifteen, four thirty. Well, so you picked a good time of the day to get out there. Yeah, it was it was great. Yeah, I, was I felt every bit of that. Good plan. Hundred and two degrees. Yeah. That's anyway. why framers get out there at seven. That's <laughs> what I was thinking the whole time. I was like, what? Why am I doing this now? But but you did it. I did it. Awesome. And that's my affirmation. All right. So my affirmation is I, I guess it kind of can tie into your day yesterday. I affirm pools. <laughs> I would have liked a pool yesterday. Right. Yeah. So after you got done, you could have just jumped in your pool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's hot here. And I enjoy having a nice pool to jump into. Mm-hmm. My boys are going crazy with the pool at Gigi's house this summer. Judah, who is three, has learned. He started belly flopping. And this year... We transitioned out of the floaty and we're just straight up swimming. He swims underwater better than he does on top of the water. Hmm. And uh, it, like if you've ever seen the video of the little babies that swim, that's kind of what he does. <laughs> he just gets under there and kicks and goes. Yeah. But he's gotten really good at it. Uh, he started belly flopping and his belly flop was more like closer to a dive. Um, it was kind of like a face plant. <laughs> and uh but now he's he's diving and he'll run and jump and it's more like a swan dive where it's like this big it's not just like falling into the pool belly flop it's like it jumps up in the air and then flips upside down and goes in yeah. head first so um but they've been having fun swimming and it's good exercise i've started swimming for distance um 2 miles is the farthest I've gone so far, but it's really helped my cardio, which I have seen in my running because I ran two miles the other day. Wow. Without stopping. Wow. Whoa. So that's pretty good. Yeah. I'm uh, building back up, getting back in shape. It's been good. All right. Let's deny something. You want to go first or you want me to? Um, Mine's a doozy. Okay. I'll go first because mine may not be as big of a doozy. Okay. Um, I am going to deny. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to Why don't you go and I'll remember it. All Hold right. on. I'm sorry. So I got to remember. I am denying um, the gay push and conservatism. Mm. <laughs> I deny it. <laughs> so there is a lot of money being funneled into the conservative movement. And by conservative, thinking more politically here. Um, So you've got like Dave Rubin, who is the face of the conservative political, not party, but like that whole camp. Yeah. And um, him and his gay husband just adopted some kids, a kid, two kids somewhere in there but um it it seems like the conservative political movement is going gay and uh even you've got ben shapiro who is he he's pretty active speaking out against abortion pretty active speaking out against transgender but uh i mean they just had dave rubin on their show on the daily wire um talking about gay parenting and all of that and um he's 
not outspoken against homosexuals. Uh, he's more outspoken against the trans movement and all of that because he doesn't want to get canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of money going in to, like I said, this this movement. So there was a book written in the 80s called After the Dance, and basically what they were saying was as homosexuals, we need to change up what we've been doing. Uh, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, there was just this push to we're going to just display ourselves for everybody to see, and then they'll accept us. Um, so you, that's kind of where you started with the gay pride marches and stuff like that. And it was a bunch of, um, older hairy men walking around <laughs> naked yeah. or dressed like YMCA and, you know, having their, uh, pride flags and all that stuff. But they said, that's not working. It's, it's not making us just accepted. So what can we do? And, and this book kind of lays it out, but basically what they said was we've got to, we've got to be gay conservatives. We've got to be gay Christians. We've got to be gay Republicans. We've got to be gay, you know, um, all of these things. And and we'll be doing that, um, as a gay person. And there's a lot of money there. Uh, they're, they're pushing in a lot of money and, and stuff like that too. So now you've got people that are gay conservatives. And at, at that point, what are you conserving? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, if you look at the conservative party and what we're trying to we what they are what's being conserved mm-hmm. is a um a biblical understanding of justice a biblical understanding of of law a biblical understanding of order a biblical understanding of morality ultimately and uh so to to be a gay conservative is an oxymoron you know you can't be a a, a gay conservative but they're they're getting a a, a lot of um power and voice and if you speak out against Dave Rubin right now, um, it's not the left that's canceling you. It's it's the right and the conservative party that's mm-hmm. canceling you. So uh, we here at Locust and Honey absolutely speak out against that. Yeah. And uh, we don't care if you try to cancel us because we got our parents that follow us. <laughs> <laughs> so, we got Mimi support, yeah. Gigi support. We got Mimi, Gigi, and Papa Cap. Yeah. So um, <laughs> bring it. Yeah. But yeah, so I deny that as as followers of Christ. And I want to do an episode on conservatism. Conservatism. Mm-hmm. Conservatism? conservatism. Yeah. yeah. Not conservatism. No. <laughs> nope. No. Conservatism. That would be. That would yeah. be. I want to do an episode on that. Um, yeah. We'll just leave it at that. I deny the gay push in conservatism. Mm. Well, I am going to deny, um, I think we've talked, maybe talked about it before briefly. Um, so is this a double denial? Like you've denied it before? I don't know if I've denied it before. It's been denied. It's being denied again. Do it. Possibly. Bring it. Um, I wish I knew your call sign because I would have said it just then. Yeah. Yeah. Beans. Beans. <laughs> <laughs> Roger. Yeah. All right. Okay. So um, (laughs) I'm going to deny the, uh, what I think has been happening in um, certainly the SBC, but we probably talked about it with the whole Rick Warren thing, but like this idea of keeping the main thing, the main thing. You deny um, 
doing that? I deny what a lot of people believe the main thing is. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. I deny that too. Um, I, I think that where we're at right now, what we're trying to push is simply getting numbers and getting numbers in evangelism, 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 because the main thing is the Great Commission. But I would say that the Great Commission is part of the gospel. And so the gospel itself has got to be the main thing. And that means all of a sudden that we've got to dive into scripture and really figure out what it says, because all of scripture points to the gospel, right? Right. The old Testament's pointing forward towards the gospel. The new Testament is pointing towards the cross and then also pointing towards the future glory of every, the whole gospel being realized, um, yeah. completely. And so then my denial would be, I guess it would be the, um, apathetic, uh, uh, push of, the recent, I don't know how recent it is, but um, kind of culture in the SBC towards things of really importance in scripture. You know what I mean? Just saying, well, we don't need to think about that. We don't need to dive into that because that's just something that we can all just agree to disagree upon as long as we are, you know, focused right. on the quote unquote main thing. Well, I think some know? of that with the SBC comes even with the uh, Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Yeah. And we're we're trying to be inclusive with um, whether that's reformed, non-reformed, Calvinistic, non-Calvinistic, um, all of the different eschatologies, all of that stuff. Um, mm. Which is why we say that we're reformed Southern Baptists because we hold to the Baptist faith and message, sixteen eighty nine, which is a more robust confession of faith. Mm -hmm. um, we can affirm everything in the BFM 2000, which is the Southern Baptist faith and message. Um, but more specifically, uh, we hold to the Baptist confession of faith uh, because it is that more robust. I always sound smart when I say robust. Yeah, robust is like a really, it's a good it's, word. Yeah, you're, you're basically a theologian if you say robust. Yeah. And I've said it four, Or an economist. We used times. to say that in uh, That's college true. a lot. It's yeah. a very robust package. It's a very, yeah, <laughs> robust package. So we chose that to uh, plant our flag in the ground and know where we stand and why we stand there. Yeah. And I think that what we're going to talk about today um, <laughs> can be considered by some people as one of those issues that can be just, we can agree to disagree on it, but as long as we keep the, you know, the Great Commission, the main thing, then it's all okay. We'll you see. Know, at would, least I think it has been pushed that way. Yeah. You know? And, and we are here today to say that is not true. That's right. So let's jump into functional universalism. Yes. It's a weird title. Yeah. That is a very smart, it's like robust. It's a very true. smart. All right, so universalism, what is it? So universalism, from my understanding, is the belief that at the end, um, all come to Christ. All. I mean, everybody who has ever lived comes to Christ, is redeemed, is saved, and goes to heaven. Okay. Yeah, so universalism, uh, somebody that holds universalism, they're going to believe in God. Um, they're going to believe 
in Christ. They're going to believe in the atonement. They're going to believe in all that stuff. But the end that they come to is that ultimately God is saving the universe. He's saving everybody and everybody will come to faith in Christ because God is loving and good and powerful and holy and he desires all people to be saved, mm-hmm. right? So like uh, Second Peter, um, God is not slow as some count slowness, but desires all men to come to saving faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of probably butchered that. But so they take that and they say, okay, well, God is all powerful. And if he desires all to be saved, then all will be saved. Um, and also within universalism, most people would affirm that there is hell, but hell is more of a means of grace where God wins us back to himself. Um, one of the prominent guys in universalism, uh, not so much prominent now, prominent more 10 years ago and even 20 years ago, Rob Bell, uh, he wrote a book, he wrote several books, but the one that I'm referring to is called Love Wins. And basically the, the theme of the book is we've been duped into understanding scripture properly and love is going to win. And what he means by love winning is that ultimately everybody is going to be saved. They will be in heaven. They will be redeemed. And um, while most people would reject universalism, I think the American church today suffers heavily from functional universalism. And so by functional universalism, um, I'm not saying that everybody just affirms universalism, but we, we are functioning universalists. And the way that we live and the way that we think and the way that we act, we act like universalists and not like Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think uh, like if you look at Ephesians 5, 6 through 8, you either belong to the world or you belong to the church. There's, there's no middle ground. There's no gray area. We're either in Christ or we're of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and scripture makes that very clear. There's lots of passages. The passage you read, um, Ephesians 5, 6 through 8. Um, there's lots of passages that make that clear. And I'm going to just read Ephesians 5, 6 through 8 real quick. Hold um, on, I'm having some Bible. What's that game where you got to find the verse? Uh, Bible drill. Yeah, I'm doing some Bible drills right here. Ephesians 5, 6 through 8. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And so... um, one thing that we have to understand is there is a distinction between the culture and the church. And kind of my argument is there's a lot of people that are living like there's no distinction. Um, and, and so kind of just to, to lay some of my argument out real quick, and then we can kind of discuss it and talk about it. But there's this sentimentalism that's been going on in the church for a while now. 
And basically what that looks like, or at least what it sounds like when you're talking to people is a God of love would never send anyone to hell. Right. Mm. Or more specifically, um, you know, somebody like Adolf Hitler, who's obviously a bad guy, God's going to send him into hell, but somebody who has never had a chance to hear the gospel. So, you know, I think the famous debate is what about the people in the Amazon or the people in Africa that have never come in contact with Christian societies and they've never heard the gospel when they die, do they go to hell? And most people would say, no, um, no, they would not because they've never had the opportunity to reject Christ. And, uh, and so they're obviously, because God is loving, uh, a loving God would never send them to hell. Um, mm-hmm. They are not condemned. They're not, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and so most people, we live our life with that understanding. Um, functioning universalism, God's love is overwhelming, and he is recklessly pursuing all of us. Ooh. Mm. Uh, I think a lot of functioning universalism is pushed in the praise and worship that a lot of Christians are listening to. I say. Uh, Bethel, Hillsong, uh, Elevate. We've been coming after them pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it's pushing an ideology of functioning universalism. Like I am, God loves me. Uh, Okay, here's a good example of functioning universalism. And I'm not going to say everything, but this statement that was said is uh, what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make. We just went to our summer camp and it was done by the Georgia Baptist Mission Board and we had a speaker. Uh, A lot of what he said was really good. I liked him uh, as a person. Uh, I liked the majority of what he was saying. One statement that he said though, um, he said... God does not judge people. God judges sin. Hmm. And so, wow, God, he was preaching out of Ephesians. Um, and and he was saying that if Christ is for us, who can be against us? All that, you know, looking at all that Christ has done for us and who we are in him and we've been adopted and now we have this advocate with the father and all of that. Um, but what he was saying to all these different youth camps that were there was that God does not judge or condemn people. He condemns sin. He judges sin, not the sinner. And I completely disagree. Mm-hmm. And the way who's going to be in hell sins or people, right? You know what I mean? There's no distinction between a sinner and the sin. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can't, I can't go to court and say, Hey judge, I, I murdered this person, but I'm really sorry for it. And I'm a great dad. I'm a great husband. I'm a youth pastor. I'm, you know, uh, I, I give to my community. I invest in people Yes, I brutally killed this one person, but that's distinct. That's separate from who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. The judge is going to if the judge is just, he's going to say, no, you are a murderer because you committed a murder. You know right. what I mean? And so we like to distinct, uh, we like to distinguish between this is my sin, but that's my sin that's making me do that. It's not me. 
You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so, um, so a lot of, uh, evangelicals, a lot of professing believers in the American church today, we go to church, we read our Bible, we profess to be followers of Christ, but there's no distinction from the church and the culture in our lives. Um, if you look at first John, how do you know that you're in Christ? You obey and follow him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like all of the assurance for a Christian is that we are obeying what Christ is telling us to do. That's where we have assurance as a believer. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people in the church are struggling with the same sins that the world are struggling with. And there's no repentance and there's no looking different. Um, you know, uh, a lot of the passages that we've been talking about, the call is do not be like the world. Do not serve sin do not serve the world. Do not follow after darkness. You are now a new creation. You have become light. You have become goodness. You have become, you know, we're in Christ. We've been made a new creation. Take off the old self and put on the new self. And right. There's this call to action. And the call to action is a call to holy living. Um, mm-hmm. But most people aren't living holy. And I think that the reason that the church does not look different than the world is because we're functioning universalists. The way that we act, we act like everybody's going to go to heaven. We act like even though I'm in this sin continually, God's still in his love and mercy going to save me. Right. What are your thoughts on all this so far? Well, and that gets at the whole, you know, you've had, uh, you have conversations with, um, like I've had conversations. I remember in college we used to have conversations about, like, in Timothy where it says faith without works is dead. Yeah. All right. Well, what does that mean? Well, that goes back to what we were talking about. If you are um, continuing to sin that grace may abound, you've got a dead faith. Right. You know, works is not what saves you, but if you are saved, the works are going to follow. Right. And you what know? you'll hear with that though is, but Andrew, I believe. Like, I believe that Jesus is who he said he was. Right. I believe that God created me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe all of that. Mm-hmm. But they don't read the passage because right after that, it says even the demons right. believe. Even the demons and they believe tremble. and tremble, yeah. Yeah, so belief, dead belief, right? Dead f- belief is not enough, mm-hmm. you know? Um, we, we need faith, Right. And and faith, the way that I've defined faith is belief acted on, um, which is, I think, the purpose of James. We're not saved by what we do. Oh, it's James. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Not Timothy. Yeah, James. But we're, we're, we're not saved by what we do. We're not saved by our actions, but those actions are a fruit of salvation. Mm -hmm. If we're a tree in Christ, he's producing fruit. If we're abiding in him and he is the vine and we are the branches, he's going to produce spiritual fruit in us. And if we're not producing fruit, it's because we've been cut from the vine and we're withering and dying. Right. You know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, uh, that, those actions that belief acted on shows that the faith that we had is a living faith and not a dead faith mm-hmm. because the demons have faith. Right. They believe. Uh, they don't have faith. They they believe. Right. Um, but that only produces dead faith, a faith that has no action. 
Mm-hmm. But as Christians in Christ, if he has saved us and sealed us with the spirit, he is producing fruit in us. That's the whole point of John, what is it, 18? Mm-hmm. Um, or 17. 17. Yeah. And that's that whole point of that passage mm-hmm. is apart from him, we can do nothing. But in him, he's doing it all through us. Or we 15. Just, 15. <laughs> yeah. It is John yeah. 15. Yeah. But we abide in him and he abides in us. And the way that we abide is be connected. Mm-hmm. And then he produces fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all that stuff. He produces that in us. And those are actions. Those are seen as actions. You right. Know? Um, so. Well, and the thing is, is it too, I mean, once you subscribe to um, universalism or even if you live as a functioning universalist, um, you're kind of denying what scripture. So you've got Romans 1 right? Where it says that, um, you know, the heart of the unbeliever is that they have suppressed the truth about God, which has been made clear to them in their unrighteousness. So God has given them up, um, to their desires and, and And so they they, worship the creation rather than the creator. Right. And they claim to be wise, but they're fools because they, that's what they do. Um, and through God's general revelation we're condemned. Right. Yeah. Then you've got Ezekiel 36, which it says in verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. Well, actually, I'll start with verse 25. Do it, beans. I'll start with verse 24. It says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. So he's talking about the church here. Verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from your idols, I will cleanse you. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So when we are subscribing to functional universalism, that's kind of what we're denying. We're denying Ezekiel 36 because there's an entire transformation that happens here. You've got a heart of stone that would be characterized by Romans 1, and then it's turning into a heart of flesh by God's command. And he's sprinkling us. He's sprinkling us with water. He's cleansing us of our sin. He's cleansing us of our idols. And then he's putting his spirit within us so that we can walk in his statutes and obey his rules and have his law written on our hearts. Right. Right. That, that's a whole transformation. That's going like in Ephesians two, that's from, that's, that's going from death to life, you know? So. Yeah. And, and I think, um, so just even looking, one of the passages that I get asked the most is, coming from Romans 1, and we've talked about it, but I'm just going to read it. Uh, starting in Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed against heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made... So they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up. And so, like, if we're going to take that famous line of what about the person in the middle of the jungle who their tribe has never come in contact with anybody else. And so they see that, okay, there's, there's something that's making the sun rise every day. And they're seeing that the sun rises and sets consistently every single day. And so that's got to be done by something, a power greater than I. So we're going to call that the sun God and we're going to worship that God. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they spend their whole life worshiping that God. And then they see, oh, wow, there's this leopard and it's big and strong and majestic and something had to create that. So we're going to worship the leopard God too. You know, we got the sun, sun God, he's mighty. You got this leopard God. And, uh, and so we're worshiping these gods. But what Romans 1 says is that those people that spent their whole life worshiping those things are still condemned because they're not worshiping God the way he desires to be worshiped. Mm -hmm. He desires to be worshiped through Christ. And so um, I heard R.C. Sproul when he was asked this. One thing that he said is um, rejecting Christ is not what sends people to hell. We are on our way to hell because ultimately we've rejected the Father, right? Mm -hmm. We've rejected God the Father and Christ is the salvation, uh, Christ is the atonement, you know, Christ is the vaccine. So if I don't get the vaccine of the bubonic plague, right, I don't get the vaccine. It's not that that kills me. It's the plague, mm -hmm. right? And the plague is sin. Um, we are all born with sin in our hearts. We're born with hearts of stone. And Christ is the only thing that allows us to have salvation, right? But that's not what eternally separates us from God. What eternally separates us from God is the fact that we have sin in our hearts. So if those people die, never hearing the gospel, they go to hell because they've still sinned against the father mm -hmm. and they're without excuse. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but most people don't believe that. Uh, if you push most Christians, they're going to say, well, no, you know, ultimately, everybody's going to go to heaven, you right. know, because God is loving. And, and so they might go to hell for a while and then God's going to give them, you know, at hell, there's going to be a chance to believe. Um, but if that's true, there's no point in the cross. There's no point in the gospel. Right. There's no point in Christ coming because ultimately we can just, we're, we're eliminating all of that. Well, and there's no point in sharing the gospel with them because right. then once you share the gospel with them, you've condemned them, you've condemned them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, well, and, and then from the Christian side, you know, that brings us back to Matthew seven, the danger of living that way as if to say, well, I can just sin that grace may abound. And because I've said the sinner's prayer, then I'm good. Yeah. Well, according to Matthew seven, verse 21, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So in verse 21, saying not everyone 
who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father. Right. And now Jesus previously has stated what the will of the father is. It's to believe in him who sent me. Well, Jesus said that and repent. Yeah. Believe and repent. Right. right? That's the will of the father. Yeah. Well, where does that come from? It comes from God. It comes from his power, right? Mm-hmm. It comes from him taking that heart of stone, turning it into a heart of flesh. And then at that point, because you're made new, you're going to live these things out. You're going to be have Christ abiding in you. And so you're not going to be that branch that's just laying off, withering, and dying because now you are attached to the vine you have Christ abiding in you and he is bearing much fruit through you. Yeah. So it's not a works-based salvation. That's not what that's not what Matthew 7:21 here is saying. But what it is saying is that if you repent and believe, you're going to be doing the will of the Father. Right. Right. So Yeah. And I'm just going to read 1 John um verse 1 or chapter 1 several verses. It says, "If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie." And do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we, hate, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And I'm going to skip around a couple of verses. Uh, chapter 2, verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandment is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And that direction that he walked was to the cross. Mm-hmm. He died to himself for the glory of the Father. Yeah. You know? And so I think that Scripture has this call for us to die to self, to, um, to strive to look like Christ, to strive to live like Christ, to strive to be the body of Christ, and to die to the things of the world. But in the current American church culture, there is this understanding that I can live and do what I want as long as my faith is in Christ. That is what we're talking about. That's Mm -hmm. functional universalism. I'm living like whatever I do doesn't matter because God's love is bigger. And while his love is bigger, his love will perfect us, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and, and so, um, there's a misunderstanding of what it looks like to be a Christian there's a misunderstanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And there's no striving for holiness. There's no walking in the direction that Christ walked, which was dying to his self and for the glory of God. Yeah. Um, I love Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. But basically what it says is that we look to Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne. Um, he endured the cross, despised the shame for the glory of the Father. You know, um, the joy that was set before him. How many times have we done endured things that we despise for the joy of the Lord? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, we get tempted and we're like, man, I just got to, 
it's my flesh. I got to submit to this sin. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Right. And we just continue in that. Uh, and then we're like, but you know what? I'm a Christian. I, I've been covered in the blood of Christ. I'm good. Uh, but if we have been covered in the blood of Christ, he is going to be perfecting us. Mm-hmm. If we've been given the Holy Spirit, he is going to be f- allowing us to follow Christ. First John is not lying. You can know that you're in him by obeying his commandments. Mm-hmm. There is a call to obey. Now we're going to sin. We're going to stumble. We're not trying to be legalistic and tell Christians, if you sin, you're not a Christian. Right. You know what I mean? You're going to stumble. But he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin when we repent right. and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's this constant turning of our sin, this repentance of sin, this hatred of sin. Um, but sin is not separated from the sinner. God's judgment will fall on sinners. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to read two verses. Can you turn to Revelation 21, verse 27? And I'm going to read John three thirty-six. And I think we can close on this because I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I do want to help us get out of the mindset of a functioning universalist. So I'm going to read John three thirty-six, and it says this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains upon him. Can you read Revelation 21, 27? 21, 27? Yeah. It says, But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Yeah. And so my challenge to anybody that's listening to this is we've got to get out of this functioning universalist mindset. Um, We have to understand what scripture says, and we have to understand that there is a church culture distinction. If we are in Christ, we will be set apart. We will be distinct. We will be separate. We're not going to look like the world. We're not going to desire the things of the world. We're not going to chase after man's applause and man's approval and fitting in and saying the right things and worried about being canceled and all these things that we've been talking about lately, that comes because we're following after Christ and he is transforming our heart. But as he's transforming our heart, he's also transforming our desires and we are going to desire to follow him and to lay aside sin and to die to self and to look to Christ to be the, the, um, creator and sustainer of our faith. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, do you have any last thoughts? No, I think this was a good, uh, good topic, good episode, good conversation, yeah. and I think it's something that we learn a lot um, growing up. You hear often, you know, um, testimonies of especially the youth today, uh, and when I was in the youth, you know, like I was thought I was saved, but then I wasn't, you know, living for Christ. But, you know, I have turned from that and now I'm rededicating my life to Christ, all that stuff. Right. Um, I think that it's something that we hear about a lot growing up, but that we continue to live with because we don't ever actually seek the scriptures about it. Yeah. Because we can't make sense of how God would, you know, like what Romans one says and the people who are out and haven't heard the gospel before, we can't make sense of that because we haven't actually read the scriptures that explain that. Right. Yeah. 
Exactly. So, yeah. Well, if you guys are still here, um, we love you. We appreciate you. Uh, our desire is that what we're saying is beneficial for you in your walk with Christ. Uh, if you have follow-up questions on this, feel free to click the link in the show notes, uh, shoot us a message, um, get in touch with us. We want to engage with you. We want to um, talk about things that are relevant to you, but while still speaking the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. And I think that this is a uh, a very needed thing that the gospel needs to be spoken to the American church culture, uh, this whole idea of functioning universalism. But uh, like I said, hope it's helpful. We love you. We appreciate you. And I hope that you have a good Lord's Day. Yes. We will see you next week. Mm, bye-bye. Mm, bye-bye. Roger Bino, call the ball. It's not Bino, is it? It's Bean. Beans. Beans. Yeah. Roger Beans, call the ball. What's that? You guys say, say Roger Beans has the ball. Oh. Roger Beans has the ball. Beans is coming in Mach 3 with his hair on fire. <laughs>